Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and I get the uh, the privilege to talk with you today. Uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you were here, uh, but we got to talk about what a godly man is and how godly men follow the principles that we find in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14. And what those things were saying was, hey, as men, you need to stand firm in the faith. You need to be watchful. You need to be strong. And then you need to let everything you do be done in love. And one of the best ways to make sure that as men that we're living out those principles is to sign up for men's life group. If you haven't done that already, I'd highly encourage you to do this, men. Uh, Ron Wagner, who's uh, standing right, or who's sitting right over here, he's so tall he looks like he's standing all the time. But uh, Ron is leading a men's group called Wild at Heart, and it is a fantastic life group. It is awesome. In fact, he's wanting to take a group of guys down uh, to Colorado for a life-changing men's experience. It's not even a men's retreat, because that's the last thing we need, right? It's another men's retreat. This is something to actually change men into God, into who God's called us to be. Uh, his wife, Vicki, is doing the same thing. She's going to take a group of ladies down to the captivating portion uh, for part of the ladies' life group stuff. And so it's, it's important to be getting involved in these life groups because that's what's going to start filling you up as we walk this life with one another. Turns out that's pretty scriptural, right? Walking with one another. So uh, this morning, go talk to Ron. Go talk to Vicki. Um, get on the church. Church Center app. If you don't have it yet, it's uh, uh, you just search for Church Center, you download that, and uh, you search for Journey Church Gillette, and it has everything listed in there. A uh, way to get signed up for life groups, information on Bible studies, information on baptism, and, and what it is and what it isn't. And so make sure you grab that app or talk to one of us today, and we'll, we'll gladly help get you set up with all of that. So today, though, however, as, as we're plugging life groups, I wanted to plug another one that we're going to be doing. Today, we're going to talk about what a godly marriage looks like by doing uh, another life group highlight here. I like to do these life group highlights to hopefully show you just, just a small portion of what a life group is and, and what they will potentially be going through in these groups. Uh, my wife, Brittany, and I, we felt led uh, to start a marriage life group. Right? We've been married for uh, a little over 10 years now. We have two kids. And through that time, we've been able to navigate some amazing things together. <clears throat> uh, we, what we want to do inside of that life group is just share some of our stories, our success stories, our failure stories, because it's important to learn from those uh, failures if, if you're a couple or if you're a single as well. 
What we did was, uh, as we started looking uh, on what to do for this life group, we came across a book, and it was called this, From This Day Forward, uh, Five Commitments to Fail-Proof Your Marriage. And, and I really liked that subtitle there, uh, because did you know that today in America, almost 50% of marriages will end in divorce or separation? That's tragic. That's not how God intended his covenant to be. So what we want to do is, is to give you and to give ourselves and to give others around us the proper tools to keep us on the right track for God's, uh, for God's word and, and his, uh, his blessings to be fulfilled through us. Because 50%, that is crazy high. That is crazy high. I, here's an example. What if I told you that today... You had a 50% chance that all the money in your bank account, all the money in your 401k was going to be lost. There's a 50% chance of that. Would you just say, ah, oh, no, it's 50%, I'll just let it ride? Or would you be finding ways to put that money somewhere else and, and figure out how to keep it safe? Right? What if I told you that there was a 50% chance that if you uh, got on that airplane today, that that specific airplane, that that one is going to crash and you will die? You might decide to ride out that one. Yeah? Like, oh no, I missed my flight. Give me another flight, right? I missed that ticket. What if there was a 50% chance that you would get attacked by a herd of 100 prairie dogs with rabies? <laughs> you probably wouldn't go to Devil's Tower today, would you? Just let it ride. Right? If there's a 50% chance for anything to happen in life, that's a flip of a coin. You would take more precautions for the things that actually matter to you, wouldn't you? Right? It's insane that you can't get a driver's permit without taking a class. Yet, you can get a marriage license for like 30 bucks, no class, no instructions, no help before getting any of that. So my question is, if you knew that there's a 50% chance that your marriage is not going to work... Why would you not try to fail-proof your marriage? Why would you try or not even try to fail-proof your marriage? So in order to do that, there's these five commitments that we're going to walk through today. The first one is seek God and then fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never give up. Let's say those together. Ready? Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never give up. And you guys did better than first service, and there's more of them there. Good job. Well, let's dive in first to what it means to seek God. What is it to seek God? Actually, first, let's look at what it means to not seek God when it comes to your marriage or your future marriage. Seeking God is not just finding somebody who makes you happy. Because guess what? We are all people, and we are all going to let you down at some point in life. I know it's disappointing. Even I'm going to let you down at some point, okay? Because I am also a person, and I'm not going to make everybody happy all the time at some point in somebody's life. Nobody can ever live up to that standard. So before we even start seeking a spouse, right, the one that we're like, oh, they're the one. I need the one. You need to seek a different one. All right, who is that one? Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37. It says these words, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first 
and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's pretty powerful. The loving God and loving others as yourself that the prophets and the law hang upon love. It's pretty awesome. So here's the takeaway just from this little section about what Jesus was telling us. He said, God is your one and your spouse is your two. Right? God is your one and your spouse is a two. If you, you're two. If you want a blessed marriage, if you want to serve God together, if you want successful children, you want to make an eternal difference in somebody's life, you don't seek those things first in life. What you do is you seek God and let him do the rest of the work through you. Matthew 6, tells us about this. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Give you everything that you need. Your marriage will never be what God wants it to be unless he is your one and your spouse or your future spouse is your two. So seek the one with your spouse. And if you're not married yet, continue to seek the one while looking for the two. Right? And don't be seeking a two who isn't actively seeking the one. Because unless they're seeking the one who gave himself up for our sins and died on the cross and rose again for man's salvation, then that is not your two. Did I lose anybody on that? There's a lot of ones and twos, right? If the two is not seeking God, that's not yours. Just so you know. So that's how we don't seek God. But how do we seek God? Well, here's just a few examples from the study that we're going to be doing. The first one is this. Pray together. That is a wonderful thing to do is pray together. Family Life, who is a Christian company, they surveyed thousands of Christian couples. And they said that fewer than 8% of those Christian couples pray regularly. But of those who do pray regularly together, fewer than 1% of them divorce. Pray together. Pray together. Number two, read God's word together, right? It doesn't have to be like four books of the Bible and, and one sitting or, or anything massive like that, but read God's word together. Read it in sections. Do a devotional together. Go grab a Closer Walk devotional or get on the Version Bible app and find a really good Devo. Talk about that with each other. Dwell on it. Meditate on it with one another. Discuss, hey, this is what I took away from this. I, I didn't understand this. What did you get? And, and he or she might say, well, this is what I saw. And you guys are just pouring in to one another as you're meditating and dwelling on God's word with each other. Another good one is this. Worship together. Right? Come to church together to worship in songs. Right? Don't just sit out there and have coffee. Come worship in music. Right? The preaching of the word. Same thing. Don't just sit out there. Come in for the preaching of the word so it can fill you up. Fellowship with other believers. You know, one of my favorite ways to worship is by drinking the coffee and eating the donuts. I love to drink the coffee and eat the donuts. All in Jesus' name, of course. You know, I do that every Sunday, but here's a good one. And of course, here's the plug. Worship in life groups. Right? Worship with people close to you who are walking in the word. 
Do life with other believers and walk beside one another. You know, I know it says it a lot in the scriptures. I can't tell you exactly how many times, but Jesus tells us to do life with one another. It's important to not walk life by yourself. And the last one here is do life with God. Right? Don't just play church on Sundays, all right? Don't just hang with God for an hour on Sunday and then you just put him away somewhere else. Do life with God by actually following what he tells us to do. Right? It's such a waste of time and energy and honestly a Sunday morning if all of this is going to go in one ear and out the other or if we just take these ideas and not actually implement them in our lives. That's, that's such a waste. Because if that's what we're doing, then you could have got a couple extra hours of sleep maybe. But if you actually want to follow Jesus' word, implement some of these into your life and into your marriage. So number one is seek God. Number two is fight fair. Right? Fight fair. I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, if, if you're married, you might. All couples fight. It's interesting. I didn't know that. All right. Healthy couples fight clean, though. And unhealthy couples fight dirty. All right? Healthy couples will fight towards resolution. Unhealthy couples will just fight for victory or because they want to win. Right? Dr. John Gottman, who studied marriage for roughly 16 years, said that he could watch a couple fight for five minutes and then determine with 91% accuracy if they would end up in a divorce. What does that tell us? That it's not if we're going to fight with our spouse, it's how we're going to fight with our spouse. Right? We have to fight fair. And some good principles about fighting fair, um, just in life, but in your marriage even, comes out of James 1, 19 through 20. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. You must be slow to speak and slow to get angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we need to stop to listen carefully, right? We need to be quick to listen. We want to hear what this other person is going to say. Right? Have you ever had someone who was just on their phone the entire time that you're trying to talk with them? Don't point fingers this morning. You'll get me in trouble. Don't do that. Point fingers later while I'm not looking. But they're, they're not being quick to listen, right? They're not listening carefully. They're just kind of, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. I got to draft my fantasy guy. Hold on. That's, that's what's happening. They aren't truly listening or engaging in this conversation with you. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in erring in his own opinions. I'll give you the SNT. That's the Stephen Nichols translation. It says, A fool finds more worth in his feelings than in, in the facts. A fool finds more worth in his feelings than in the facts. You know, whenever I've taken my eyes off of the facts and instead just started to lean into how do I feel about this, that's when I start to stumble. You know, because feelings are bad, but they can often cloud my judgment of the facts. Uh, Paula actually once told me that feelings are an indicator. They're not a dictator. Right? Feelings are the indicators that there might be something going on, but they do not dictate how the situation is supposed to go. 
You know, my faith must be based upon the facts of what God's word says, not upon how I feel in any given day. Because I tell you, I'm, I'm a roller coaster. There's days that are good. I get out of the right side of the bed. And there's days that uh, there isn't even a good side of the bed. Every side is the wrong side of the bed. But here's a good example for all of us, I believe. Hebrews 13, 5 says that God will never leave me, nor will he forsake me. God will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, if I keep my focus on that fact, I'm going to be fine on my worst days. But if I start to say, you know what, I don't think God's with me today because I do not feel his presence. I do not feel like he is with me. Well, I've taken my eyes off of the fact of what his word says, and I've gone off the feelings that are wrong inside of me. And that's when I stumble and fall right on my face. So let's be quick to listen. The other one was slow to speak. You know, this is a good one that uh, somebody had to teach me. God gave you two ears and just one mouth. Okay, that was a hard one for me to hear, but I learned it, and it's a good one to learn. Right? If we could all just be quick to listen and slower to speak, slower to spew out our own ideas, then I bet we could all navigate this life just a little better with one another. I love how Proverbs says it. They says it straight to the point. It says, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. That's Proverbs 21, 23, if you're looking for one. Instead of the inspirational verse of, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God will prosper you and do all these other things, I think we should have that, Proverbs 21, 23. Just watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. That would look really good above the fireplace mantle, don't you think? Okay, it's really going to go good on my side of the bed, if I'm being honest here. So that's what we want to do. So in an argument, where are you going to start fighting fair? If we're looking at what it means to be slow to speak. When those arguments come up, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Should what's on my mind be said? And should it be said right now? Sometimes when we fight dirty, we want to bring up every past hurt that we've ever had that that person has done just so we can win, right? You're hitting below the belt when you're doing that. That's not going to win anything. Man, it just wins you really a trip to the doghouse, so don't be doing that. That's not going to get us anything because when that happens, we all start getting defensive in those situations and the gloves come off and we start fighting dirty, right? He said this or, well, that's what she said, so I'm going to say it this way just to hurt her and make her feel worse. But if something does need to be said in that moment, should you say it right now? Because some things are way better to be discussed later after the heat gets turned down, after you start cooling down, and then you're ready to actually communicate and talk about it. So that's what it means to be slow to speak. And then lastly, we want to look at what does it mean to get slow to get angry? Slow to get angry. Ephesians 4 is one of the best portions of Scripture to look at what, what is anger. Right? Ephesians 4, that's Paul writing of the church in Ephesus. He said... In your anger, do not sin. Okay, so what does that tell us? That tells us that it's okay to be angry, but in that anger, you do not sin. Here's a good example uh, given by Jesus. Imagine that. Jesus has great ideas, good examples, right? That's awesome. It's okay to be angry like when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple. 
He was not angry in that situation because his feelings were hurt. Or because Jesus felt ignored and nobody was paying attention to him. He was angry because people were being hindered from worshiping the Father freely. And his anger was righteous anger. You know, there's a verse we just read that says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And I can't tell you how many times my anger has not produced the righteousness of God. And reminds me that I need to be angry about the things that are ungodly, that are unjust, that are going against what God's word says, instead of just being angry about how somebody made me feel. Right? That anger is often fleshy and not righteous. So let's live out James 19, or 1, 19 through 20, and that's how we start to fight fair with one another. So the first one was seek God. Number two was fight fair. Number three is this. Have fun. Have fun. Did you know, Christians, it's okay for us to have fun? I know nobody, nobody told some of your faces this morning, but it's okay to have fun, all right? Even when we come to church, it's okay to have fun. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says this, says, live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. Wow, thanks, God. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. I like how the NIV puts that last portion. It says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. What Solomon is saying here, it's not that, oh, your life is just pointless and nobody cares about you. That's not it. He's saying, hey, life is short. Like before this, he's like, God gave you some great food that you can enjoy, right? There's some great drinks that you can enjoy. There's going to be some good clothing to cover you from the sun. That's kind of the context of what was happening here. But then he goes into this portion. He says, hey, enjoy your wife. Enjoy that awesome lady. And I know some of you are saying, well, she doesn't really seem like a reward, God. It seems like I kind of got the participation trophy here. <laughs> but that just means you need to have more fun. That's what that means. Because without fun and without romance, marriage is now reduced to a business relationship. You got two people existing in the same home, but living two separate lives. That's what happens. You know what? When I first fell in love with, uh, with my wife, Brittany, I tell you, we weren't having a bad time and we weren't bored, right? We were, we were having fun. We were out there doing things together. You know, when I proposed to Brittany, single guys, take notes. I'm, I'm pretty romantic here. When I proposed to Brittany, I sent her on a scavenger hunt to, to all these places that had deep meaning to us. Uh, there used to be coffee friends downtown. I, I don't know if it's still there or not. But uh, there was a little bench that sat out there. And uh, I was actually her first boyfriend in uh, ninth grade. And we would walk down there and sit on that bench and, and just talk for a little bit. I would do all the talking because she's so quiet. Imagine that. But I, I put one there. And then uh, when we met back up, it was at an Applebee's. And so I left one with the... With the waitress there or the, the hostess to uh, give to her. And then she ended up at Northwest Park. Uh, we, we got back together at Northwest College. And so Northwest Park is where I sent her. And then uh, at the end, she found the last clue. And uh, she's walking down the hill and she sees me there uh, blaring our song, right? Holding the ring. I, I'm, I'm so romantic, you guys. Like just, I, I know it's surprising. Now that was a lot of fun. Today, 10 years later, two kids, two dogs, and a partridge in a pear tree, our dates look a little different. 
and that's okay because we're still dating one another and we're still having a good time with one another. You know, fun is not a luxury in marriage. I hear people say often, well, we're just too busy. We don't have time to have fun in our marriage. Well, if you don't take time for fun, you may not have a marriage more, more than a few months now. It's important to have some fun. Set a date. Set, put it on the calendar. Say, this is the day we're going to go out, right? Get a babysitter. Have a nice dinner. Light some candles. Give her a massage. Turn on some Marvin Gaye or some Adele, right? Or maybe something more Christian, right? Turn on Newsboys or the VeggieTales theme song, whatever you want. <laughs> no, you got little kids like mine. If you turn on Bubble Guppies or Cocoa Melon, man, those shows, especially when they put them in long increments, man, they give us at least a 30-minute date right there. We can just have some silence to ourselves and, you know, hide a pizza in the bedroom or something and just, ha just have time with each other, right? So don't forget to have fun. It's important. Number four is this. Stay pure in your marriage. Stay pure. Did you know, depending on the version of the, of the scriptures that you're reading, there are roughly 30 to 40 verses that mention the damage and the hurt that comes from sexual immorality and often the consequences of not doing it God's way. Hebrews 13, 4 says it this way. It says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Today, I feel like we see an increase of sexual impurity inside of marriage. Right? I mean, look at the stats, right? We're looking at 50% are pointed towards divorce. But why is this happening? And I believe it's because there's more temptations today than in the past. Because I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to and they say, Pastor Stephen, it, it all started out so innocent. She messaged me, right? She sent me a DM on Instagram or she sent me a private message on Facebook and that's where it funneled down. Social media has brought new temptations right in front of us. Do you know there's even websites out there today that are designed to help people have an affair and then help you cover it up? That's disgusting. That is messed up. So what we want to do as the body of believers, as, as the church, is we want to guard against impurities. I'm here to tell you, to, to have a healthy marriage, couples have to strive for both inward and outward purity. Let's start first with the outward purity, which is more focused upon our behavior. Right? It's, behind, uh, it's, it's focused upon behavior. Ephesians 5.3, let's start there. Whoops. It says these words, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity. Just a hint of it. Not even a hint. 1 Corinthians um, 6 tells us this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Right? Don't tow the line. Like last week, Pastor Aaron was talking about getting too close to the cliff. Don't get too close to the cliff. And then say that, well, when I fall off, that's, that's the hard one. You're, you're looking to get as close as you can to destruction. But flee from sexual immorality. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Amen? Therefore, honor God with your body. 
honor God with your body. That's the behavior part. Number two would be this, inward purity, which is the heart. Pastor Aaron, he spent a, a lot of time talking about everything comes back around to the heart. It's all about the heart. Psalm 119 puts it this way. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's a great question. Let's find out the answer. By living according to your word, to God's word. I will seek you with all my heart. Good job. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word that I may not sin against you. The best way to not sin against our God and to not sin against ourselves, as 1 Corinthians also talks about, that sexual immorality will actually be the only sin that we commit against ourselves. But if we hide his word in our heart, we don't sin against God. Matthew 5, 28, this is Jesus uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount at this point. He's telling the people this. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a tall order to live up to. All these verses are telling us to stop flirting with disaster. All of these verses are giving us a 90s movie reference, right? They're saying, run, Forrest, run, get out of there, flee, right? If you're looking at your secretary men or, or ladies, I can't leave you out, right? If you're staring at the fellow who maybe comes and cleans your pool or whatever, you're putting poison into your marriage, right? And it's not just like a small amount that's going to make your stomach hurt a little bit. It's like you're putting cyanide in a glass of water and you're drinking it down. That's what that's doing. So if you start to get those feelings for somebody else, an unhealthy relationship is presenting itself. You're looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at on the computer. Or ladies, you're into however many shades of gray there are out there now. But what happens is we're introducing poison and we need to stop and we need to repent because that is leading us, that is leading you, your marriage, down a path of destruction. And it's adding poison to your marriage. Here's a good way to wrap that up. It says, run from even a hint of sexual impurity. Don't play with it. Run from it. And the last one is to never give up. Never give up on your marriage. Now, I want to preface this. If you are being abused, it is important for you to get to safety. It is important for you to not stay in abuse. Because in that case, I believe that it's healthy to separate. Get you, or if there's children involved, get your kids out of that situation. Separate and get some counseling by making sure that you're safe first. And then if it is safe to start working on your marriage, push forward. But I don't want to see anybody being somebody else's punching bag or somebody else's doormat. That's not okay to get roughed up. Right? I don't want anybody to get roughed up. And if there is somebody here today who is, we want to go and make sure that that doesn't happen to you. So please speak up. Talk to somebody you trust. Talk to somebody here in the church so we can get you the help that you need. 
You know, what I am saying today, though, is that uh, in, in our marriages where there's not this physical abuse or, or this, um, this, this abuse going on in our, in our marriages, is that we don't want to give up on one another just because maybe something better came along. Right? Because we know that God never gives up on us. One of my favorite quotes is from C.S. Lewis, and he said this uh, about uh, situations maybe where you're mad and you're thinking about giving up, but he said, I forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. And I need to stand on those words just as much as anybody. Matthew 19 Verses 3 through 6 says these words. It says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, that's Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus gives him a mic drop answer right here. Haven't you read the scriptures? I feel like he could have stopped right there. He, he knew they read the scriptures. They just didn't understand them. Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. But what happens when the two that were joined together become back to two, right? You had two that became one. What happens when they split back into two? Well, it's something like this. So what we have here, let's say this is uh, Brittany and this is Stephen, all right? So what we have here is that in our vows, we would say something uh, to, to this effect, right? Like, I, Stephen, take you, Brittany, to have and to hold from this day forward. And then we would say some things that a lot of times, if we're being honest, honest aren't true in today's marriages, right? They would say something like, uh, I'm going to have you for better or for worse. Well, a few years down the road, you're like, you know what? I don't like that for worse part. I'll leave the for better, but for worse, I don't think I'm going to, I don't want to mess with that one. Right? And then we'll say something like, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer or for poorer. Well, she didn't get a second or third job to feed my video game habit, so I better get that one out of here. It's only for richer, right? In sickness and in health, well, actually, I don't like the sickness part because I want you to be healthy so that you can take care of me until death parts us. Well, actually, I don't like that part either because I want to get rid of you anytime that I want to because it's all about what I want. It's not about this other person. And then we have Satan who's coming in the middle of all of that. And he's starting to take a wedge. And he's going to drive that wedge between you and your spouse and God himself. And what happens at that point is once that wedge is driven and you break apart from one another, you separate. But look what happens. When you separate... You are covered in holes. You are covered in puncture wounds. Right? You're covered in hits. And you're also still attached to a portion of your divorced partner. Because it was meant to be permanent. 
It was not meant to come apart. Two were meant to stay one and not, not be separated. We're covered in holes and puncture wounds, and we're always going to have pieces of that spouse attached to us no matter what. You know, that concept of staying together through thick and thin, that is something that is easily lost in our culture today, isn't it? Right? Everything today is just so disposable, even relationships and marriage. But I love what Winston Churchill uh, said. He said, never, never in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Standing strong with deep conviction, right? Being willing to give your life for what actually matters the most. So don't give up on each other. Never give up. Seek counsel from the Holy Spirit. Seek counsel from godly friends that have godly convictions in their lives. From the church. Don't rely on what the world says, right? Because the world is just saying, well, that's just a piece of paper. That's a contract. But God tells us that marriage is a covenant. A contract is based on mutual distrust with someone. But a covenant is based on mutual commitment. A contract limits my responsibilities, but it increases all of my rights. It basically says that, okay, if we're in a contract with one another, then I'm in as long as you're in. And that's why so many people, that's how so many people are doing marriage. They say, hey, as long as you make me happy, if you meet my needs, and as long as nothing better comes along, then we can stick this out. But if you don't live up to your end of the contract, then I'm out. But marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. right? And a covenant is a permanent relationship. That's what it is. Because God himself is covenantal. And God makes relationships with his people that are permanent. Right? Just like my beautiful wife said to me, and I to her, and both of us to God, on July 2nd of 2011. Stephen, do you take Brittany to be your wife? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, forsaking all others, be faithful unto her as long as she makes you happy. No. Right? As long as she fulfills her part of this deal. No, that's not it. Right? As long as no one better comes along. No, what is it? As long as you both shall live. Do you see there's no expiration date on that? There's no ending date on that. In a contract, there's an end date, right? You rent your house out, let's say, for a year. Okay, the year's up. Get out of my house. Somebody else is going to come along and pay way more because prices are good. But a covenant, it is until death do us part, so help me God. And that's why we never give up because we don't ever want to make two what God has made one. So if you want to fail-proof your marriage, I'm here to tell you, seek God with each other. Fight fair with each other. Don't try and intentionally hurt each other. That's fighting dirty. Try to work towards reconciliation. That's fighting fair. Have fun. Date your spouse. 
You don't remember the things that you did at first when you were probably a little love drunk and you were trying to get her by doing all these crazy things, holding the boom box above your head in your 80s style jacket, I'm sure, trying to win her love with a good song? Do those things again. Stay pure. Run. Flee from even a hint of sexual impurity because it brings about poison in your life and into your marriage. And number five, never give up because marriage isn't a contract based on distrust. Marriage is a lasting covenant that is based on a commitment to God and to each other to stay with one another as long as you both shall live. So help me, God. We're going to pray, and then the band's going to come up and, uh, and sing another song for us. But during this time, I want you guys to just focus also um, in prayer time. But as the song's going on, think about maybe where your marriage is and where it's been. And look at where is it going today? And are those five things that you are implementing into your marriage? I just want to challenge you and encourage you with those. So let's pray and then let's uh, worship through song. Father, thank you so much for today. God, I pray that as we um, have discussed these things that, uh, that can fail-proof our marriage, God, I pray that we would take them to heart and let them not just go out one or in one ear and out the other, but God, that we would actually want to hold to these. Because God, as, as believers in you, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to seek you above all else. God, we want to fight fair. We don't want to fight like the world does. That's often why people don't even want to become a Christian because they see us fighting dirty. So God, teach us to fight fair. Teach us to fight clean. God, I, I just ask that you would help us all, all us couples, to, to just have fun with one another. To remember that life is just too short to just be bland. But God, that you gave us excitement. You gave us one another. And God, that we can enjoy each other's company. Father, I also ask that you would help us all stay pure. Men and women alike, Lord. Please guard our eyes. Put people in our lives that we can trust to help keep us accountable. Because God, we know that temptation is, is everywhere. But we don't want that temptation to take seed and to take root in our lives. Father, I ask that you would help us to never give up. God, help us to never give up on our marriages, on our spouses. And God, help us to never give up on you because you are the one who restores and brings forth beautiful things from ashes. And so God, I ask today that we would take those principles and implement them into our lives. And as we leave, Lord, help us to go and be the church, not just play church, but be the church. And we ask all this in, in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.